Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Hope Machine from Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation. The Hope Machine is a series which shines a light on cutting-edge research, bringing hope to those of you with lung conditions living in the UK. First up, if you're a parent of a child who wheezes, you'll be interested to hear from Professor Sejal Saglani. She's looking into whether there's a link between farmyards stopping kids developing asthma. Really interesting, really surprising stuff coming up. Next, we'll be chatting with Dr. John Blakely, who's investigating the connection between sleep patterns and pulmonary fibrosis. Could the amount of sleep we get each night really make a difference to whether or not we develop this kind of condition? We're going to find out. And of course, we'll be having our 60 second challenge where Sejal and John are given 60 seconds to explain their very clever work in language so simple a nine-year-old could understand it. We really hope you enjoy the show today. Don't forget, we are a charity and we can only support research like this thanks to the generosity of people like you. If you'd like to make a donation to our research appeal, please use the link in the description. Now over to Ian Gerald, Deputy Head of Research at Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation, who's talking to our first researcher. Hi, Sejal. Thanks very much for joining us today. Great to see you and great to have you here to talk about your research. Um, But before we do talk about your research, um, I just wanted to ask a few questions so we can get to know you a bit better. So first of all, what do you think you would have been if you hadn't become a, a doctor and a researcher? That's a difficult one because it's been so long since I decided I want to be a doctor. Um, I, look, I, I really enjoyed science at uh, school, so mm-hmm. it, it had to be something science related. Um, and I guess if I hadn't have done medicine, I, I would have probably done a science degree. And then whether I'd have done research or not, I don't know. But it, it would have definitely been something science related. It's very boring, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what is your favorite place in the world so that's fairly easy in terms of country i think it's italy i've been to most parts of italy um and in terms of where in italy i think it's the amalfi coast um i love walking um and i i love that sort of um the environment that there is there so I, i would say that's my favorite um and can you tell us something about you that not many people know I do do quite a lot of um, voluntary work um, and I'm, uh, I am I lead the healthcare activities for a Hindu organisation that's affiliated with the Neesden Temple in London and we do a lot of community-based uh, work for the South Asian communities. Let's move on and, and talk about your research. So I'm just going to ask some questions about the work that, that you're doing that um, the British Lung Foundation and ASME UK are funding so we can kind of understand a bit more about that work and why it's important. So first of all, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what is preschool wheeze and how big an issue is it? Preschool wheeze is essentially um, a lung uh, disorder or condition that affects children under the age of five. Wheezing is a, a condition where children have a lot of difficulty in breathing So they um, become breathless and they develop um, noisy breathing. And the wheeze is the noise that the children make. Um, And the reason they have that noisy breathing and difficulty in breathing is because the breathing tubes, the the tubes that we breathe in and out of normally, become narrow in this condition. And so then suddenly they're breathing through a much smaller hole and a much smaller tube. 
And so the breathing in and out both become difficult. And importantly, the flow of the air becomes turbulent. And it's that turbulent flow that generates a noise called wheezing. Usually the children are very, very well. You wouldn't know there was anything wrong with them. And the most typical scenario is the moment they get a cold or a runny nose, then that results in the airways becoming narrow and they have fast breathing, difficulty in breathing, noisy breathing, and they have an attack. So older people have a heart attack, and this essentially looks like a lung attack. At least half of all children will have had at least one attack of wheezing by their sixth birthday. And that's not just a concept in the UK, that's worldwide, that's global. Mm -hmm. About a third of those then have recurrent, frequent attacks of wheezing. And they're the children that I'm really interested in. And they're the children that we really need to try and make better. And the reason for that is that those are the children that make up the majority of children that get admitted to hospital. So of all children that get admitted to hospital for asthma attacks or wheezing attacks, three quarters are in the preschool age group. Right. And what's really disappointing is that that rate has been unchanged for at least 15 or 20 years. So we haven't managed to impact the rate of hospitalization for these children for a long, long time. Mm, Yeah. Which suggests to me that there's something fundamental that we need to change in the way we manage these children to make them better. What's the connection between preschool wheeze and then developing asthma? Some of these children that ever have a wheezing attack wheeze again and again and again. And of those, about another half will go on to develop what we call asthma, which is what children develop by school age, what we at least three children in every classroom will have asthma. That condition is more associated with allergies. And we're actually quite good at treating the asthma part once they're older. What we're not good at is predicting which preschool visa will develop asthma. And what we're really not good at is And what we've only just recently started to understand is even if a preschool wheezer apparently grows out of their symptoms by school age, they can redevelop their symptoms when they're older and when they're an adult. And that's the biggest worry because then they're presenting to the adult clinic with a marked reduction in the way their lungs are working. And that reduction is then not recoverable. It's irreversible. So that early preschool wheezing can have a lifelong impact on lung health. And just to clarify, so at the moment, is there any way of doing that? Or are there any drugs that help prevent them or any other treatments? So unfortunately, no. Um, So the treatments that we have are inhalers, um, which when the child has an attack is effective and it stops them wheezing and it calms things down and it makes them better. But what we don't have are good treatments that prevent the attacks. Um, and so you can treat treat the attack there and then, but what do we give that family or that child to stop it happening the next time they get a cold? Mm. That's the bit we're really stuck with, um, and we don't have medicines for, and which is why we need the research, really. Yeah. Great. So, in, in a nutshell, like, what do you think that the results of this particular research study could mean for parents of children who are wheezy? So this study is a very sort of at a preliminary stage where we're trying to work out. What is it in the lungs that causes the wheezing in these very um, in these preschool children? And we're very, very specifically going to look at the children that get wheezing with viruses. 
and viral infections. So what goes on in the lungs when the children get a cold, which is all up here in the nose, what's happening in the lungs and what's changing to make the wheeze happen. And then what we want to do is um, apply a scenario that's quite interesting. So there's some really nice research that's very reproducible that has shown that certain environments are very protective from wheezing and asthma. And those environments very specifically are children that are brought up on farmyards or in a farming environment. Mm -hmm. So um, children who are brought up, especially in a traditional sort of cattle farming environment, not industrialized farming, the type we do in this country, but um, industrialized farming where it's a cattle farm and the, the, the families are really doing the work themselves without the sort of machinery and so mm -hmm. on. Children yeah. brought up in that environment are extremely protected from wheezing and asthma. Mm. So the research that we are doing is trying to mimic that farmyard environment in an experimental sense. Right. To see if we create wheezing with viruses, we then come in with the farmyard environment exposure. Can we then stop the wheezing? And that's the, that's the crux of it. So we've generated a model in the lab that reproduces wheezing with viruses. And what we're actually using as the intervention are the farm dust extracts from right. the farmyard environments mm. which we've brought into the lab and we're putting those into our experimental model to see what is it that changes and what is it about those farm dust extracts that changes the, the effects of the wheezing and how can we then translate that into a medication that we can use in children. Farm dust could be a way to prevent childhood preschool wheeze it's well, in, in, in a roundabout way in a very yeah roundabout way uh, it's mm -hmm. it's really really interesting because there are certain things that we know make children at high risk of wheezing one of those things is actually their genes so there is an underlying susceptibility mm. there's a particular gene that we're aware of that makes children susceptible which we're looking at in our research and then, so that would be the way of finding the child that's at high risk. We look for that gene and then we come in with that farmyard intervention to then stop those children from getting unwell. So we don't need to give the farmyard environment to all children, but it's those high risk children that are going to be wheezing again and again and again. The ultimate aim would be to find the child before they've ever wheezed mm. and come in with the intervention. So you're absolutely right. So that the child has healthy lungs and has never, ever had an episode of wheezing. I think it'll have to be in stages. The first is that we'll find, identify the children who have had at least one or two episodes and then come in with the intervention and hope to stop any further episodes. But the ultimate aim would be absolutely to come in early in the first few months of life to stop children from ever developing wheezing and then going on to develop um, asthma or the long-term effects in adulthood. Yeah, that would be our dream. Thanks very much, Sejal. It's been really great talking to you um, and hearing more about your fascinating work. I wish you um, the very best of luck with the rest of the study. Great. Thanks very much, Ian. Cheers. Thanks, Ian and Professor Sidlani. That was really fascinating. While we're here, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with others. Before we head over to our next researcher, let's hear from Krishna Poinasamy, Head of Research and Innovation Advocacy at ASME UK and the British Lung Foundation. He's got something to share that I bet you didn't know. I bet you didn't know that we're helping today's scientists and inventors to develop new products to help you to manage your lung condition even better. And how we do that is we bring together those with the brightest ideas. 
and we provide funding to help them to develop those ideas into new inventions and innovations. But we're also committed to persuading others to bring their money to the table. So in a recent example, we persuaded two large funders to provide funding to accelerate the development of new tools to help people to manage their asthma. And for every £1 that we put in, we persuaded our partners to bring a further £1 each, creating a total funding pot of £3 million. So what will that funding achieve? It'll help to develop new tools to manage your condition on a daily basis, understanding your environment and actually helping you to understand whether you're overusing your medication or perhaps underusing your medication and whether you might be at risk of something more serious and need further medical attention. It's thanks to your support that we can provide funding to develop these new products that we hope will help you to manage your condition even better and ultimately transform your life. Now we're moving on to our next researcher discussing the link between sleep patterns and pulmonary fibrosis with Ian Gerald. Hi, John. Thanks very much for joining us today to um, talk about your research. Um, but before we talk about your research, I just wanted to ask a few questions so we can get to know you a little bit better. What would you have been if you hadn't have been a researcher? I think I would have continued being a clinical doctor. So an important reason why I am a researcher is I see the problems in the patients that I treat and I want to try and find solutions to those problems. So that's why I'm a researcher. Being a clinical doctor is still an important part of my practice. And if I wasn't given the opportunity to do research, I find you know helping to diagnose and treat patients really uh, rewarding. So John, what would you say is your favorite place in the world? I think I quite like the United Kingdom. I've had the chance of traveling around the world and in actual fact, I went and worked in uh, Canada for a year as part of my research. Um, and also my wife comes from Trinidad and Tobago, so I get to go across to the Caribbean. There's something unique about the United Kingdom and especially about the weather we have and the four seasons uh, that I really like. Can you tell us something about you that not many people know? I have to say I do not like spices at all to the extent that my mother-in-law who I love dearly has to go and buy non-peppery food in Trinidad and Tobago which is the ultimate no-no. Let's move on now and we'll talk about your research. What is pulmonary fibrosis and, and what's life like for people who are diagnosed with it? So I think pulmonary fibrosis is a condition of the lung where the lung becomes progressively stiffened or hardened. So in normal people, the lungs will just open up and close down. And that's what we do when we breathe in and breathe out. But in patients with pulmonary fibrosis, the lungs open up only a little bit and close down only a little bit, causing them to feel quite short of breath. The patients do tell us when we try and quantify what they're going through, that the condition can be almost as bad as many cancers in affecting their quality of life. So it can be really quite bad. I know you're, you're particularly interested in potential connections between sleep and pulmonary fibrosis. And why are you interested in sleep in this context? And what do you think it is about sleep that can make such a difference? I have a long-standing interest in circadian rhythms. 
And we know that sleep can interact with the circadian rhythms. And circadian rhythms is really about how time of day affects various physiological processes. People who slept for long periods of time, so greater than 10 hours, or people who slept for short periods of time, less than six hours, actually increased the risk of getting this incurable disease, pulmonary fibrosis. When you've spoken to people who have pulmonary fibrosis, um, anecdotally, do they talk to you about that they've had problems with sleep in the past? Or is this something that you don't hear much about, but the data from things like biobanks are suggesting that it might be something that's actually, you know, a tangible player in this disease? I think when we speak to uh, patients with pulmonary fibrosis, it's not something they volunteer. But if you then ask them and say, look, are you sleeping well? How long are you sleeping for? Uh, then they actually start to say, look, sleep is a big problem for pulmonary fibrosis. And then even more, when we try and look at sleep, so we quantify sleep in the clinical setting, we start to see a much higher uh, percentage of patients than we would normally expect with sleep problems, suggesting that these two things may be linked. So looking at your research study that the ASME UK and the British Lung Foundation are, are supporting, what are you hoping to discover with this particular study? What we want to do, do we want to tr take a cohort of patients? We want to record their sleep using, you know, various risk monitors. Yes. And really see if the ones that sleep for long periods or short periods have a different outcome with the disease. Because one of the striking things I see in my clinic is that some patients uh, will uh, have pulmonary fibrosis for years on end and not really progress, whilst other patients, their disease will get worse quite rapidly. And, and sleep may have a role to play in deciding which kind of side of that divide you will go down. Hopefully, this trial by getting patients to record how long they sleep for and wearing one of these wristwatches will give us an insight into whether they deteriorate faster or not. If you show that there is this association between length of sleep, quality of sleep with progression of this disease, what could we do about that? Are there interventions we can use to help people sleep for a healthy amount of time? At the moment, we don't know the association between sleep and pulmonary fibrosis. So if you're sleeping for long periods or short periods, we don't even know if it matters. And this is the work that you've kindly funded so we can hopefully explain to patients if it does matter. So we know we can give devices to certain patients who sleep poorly to try and help improve their sleep. We also know that there's apps now that you can have on your phone that can help promote good sleep regularity. And in addition, you know, there's something called sleep hygiene, which everybody can do, which is simple, sort of about 12 different steps that you can do to help promote a good night's sleep. Thank you so much, John. It's been really great talking to you and I, I wish you the best of luck with the study. I can't wait to see what the findings tell us. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Blakely. That was really interesting to hear about the impact your work could have. And that's all from us on The Hope Machine today. 
If you would like to support more amazing research projects like the ones you've heard about, please do consider making a donation to our research appeal. You can find a link in the description of this episode. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can go to social media and use hashtag the hope machine to follow us. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel for more exciting research news. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.